Hi, this is Dr. Shannon Wong-Lerner, communication coach consultant, and I'm here with the special, our special guest. Patrice Palmer, Director of Social and Cultural Inclusion for the College of Business at Colorado State University and DNI Specialist with New Belgium Brewing Company. And you're here with The Intersection, Diverse Folks Converse, the podcast. Today we have a really special episode. So it's actually just episode two for us. And the title is Staples for Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion, Steps for Non-Hierarchical Leadership. And we came up with this title and this theme just from talking together before we had this podcast and just listening to all the amazing things that Patrice is doing at their work with their students and just this overall theme of diversity, equity, inclusion. We also were talking a little bit about how it seems like since, since Black Lives Matter has hit the mainstream, DEI has blown up. And we were feeling and that perhaps having this conversation might offer some guidance for people that are new to this and just to offer some support also for people who are not new to this <laughs> and some reinforcement. So yeah, I, I, maybe you could just talk a little bit about your work and you know some of the work you're doing with your students or anything you want to talk about and I'll this is the intersection so we'll talk we'll intersect on how our work connects and yeah. just talk for a few minutes about what each of us does around this topic. Absolutely so um, I would first start out by saying that I am a cultural storyteller and I love the ability to tell stories and creating and kind of infusing my work. Um, one of the reasons for that is because I try to do that from a very decolonized lens. Um, and so you're typically given some type of curriculum or some type of task, and you kind of just have to take it in and then do whatever is given. And it, it doesn't really give room for you to thrive, to, to see yourself represented in those spaces. And so, um, most of my work is really just telling stories of my lived experience as a black queer trans person and all of the different things that I have had to kind of travail in my life in order to get to a space where I'm able um, to, to hold the attention of, of, of those who I would consider are in authority, right? Mm -hmm. um, and it shows up not only academically, but it also shows up in my work um, um, with my coworkers. Um, it, it, it's interesting um, because uh, we were laughing about this earlier, kind of our, our age kind of tells on <laughs> us sometimes as it relates to why and how we do things. And now we are in this position this position of power to an extent as elders within our communities. Yes. Um, and so when you have that type of, you know, that power that's kind of been handed to you, um, now you're trying to figure out like, how do I do it? How do I, you know, give this to folks in a way that doesn't feel hierarchical, it does feel equal and equitable, um, as well as continuing to um, utilize some of our traditions and some of our, our, our past histories in order to do that. So I'm able to do that really kind of seamlessly with my students, but with working with um, folks who are my peers in a lot of ways, sometimes I have to remark that, oh man, like, like you're older than me and, and you have more <laughs> life experience in some of these things. And so still being, I think, um, humble 
to mm-hmm. correction, to challenge, yes. um, and and still being able to deliver something that is based in an equitable framework that has to do with an inclusive mindset and then is, you know, kind of being relayed from a diverse perspective because typically when we have conversations and which is kind of odd that when we, even when we have conversations around DEI, it's very much based and steeped and respectability and mm-hmm. in, 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 uh, being cautious and, and, and civil um, instead of kind of being passionate mm-hmm. and uh, uh, being able to, to be authentic in who you are and, and what you're standing for. So that's just a little bit about some of the work that I've had the privilege and honor of being able to do for almost 15 years now. That's wonderful. And I think, you know, when I listen to you speak, uh, the way I was introduced to you was through LinkedIn, and then I heard your YouTube video on mm-hmm. TED Talk. Can you remind me the title of that again? Yes, um, it's called um, Are You a Man or a Woman? I'm Black. Yes, and I've actually shared it with so many people. I've shared it with people, all kinds Thank of people. Thank you. Yes. <laughs> I've shared it because I felt like it's perhaps the most striking and strongest TED, like TED talk I've heard from a speech standpoint. So I shared it with people I'm working with in public speaking, but I've also, I also feel like the actual story behind it. And then the way it actually was also one of the factors of me putting together this podcast and thinking about it as intersection. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I can transition this a little bit into my work too, but I think that coming from academia and not being aware of these issues or not I don't know, I don't want to be hard on myself, but maybe not being brave enough to tackle them, especially in the situations I was in with, you know, mostly Caucasian, heterosexual, and very uh, conservative, you know, environment where it was a culture, that was the culture. So if something happened to you, you suffered a blow of any kind, it wasn't necessarily related to you as a diverse person, but it could be anything, any hardship, you just like, suck it up right and i remember people saying that you know you have an extra paper to do you have an extra class you have to teach now suck it up and then like you're thinking i have four conferences to do i have all these things and it's this it it really reminded me of when you were talking because it made me think about the difference between what i'm doing and what you're doing and what i was doing and trying to do and who i was trying to be i think especially being someone who's closeted living this you know, very like heteropatriarchal uh, life in sort of like a culture that was not diverse and being one of the only ones feeling like I didn't have power and always trying to put that into my teaching, especially when helping students who come from marginalized communities, mm-hmm. perhaps they're first generation college students, mm-hmm. you know, perhaps they're students who are just not they don't feel comfortable in the space of the university where, where I was at, in the spaces I was at. So making sure the classroom feels like that to them. And then now I'm in my office, although no one comes here because of COVID, but making my virtual space feel the same for my clients who are almost all diverse people too. But it, I, one thing I was thinking about is that, you know, when I heard your talk, when I heard your TED talk, I felt like, your voice was so strong and confident Hmm. and it's something that I help my students with, I think. And I've helped, I help my clients with 
especially when they feel like they don't have agency, they don't have access to that voice for themselves, whatever that sounds like for them and something that perhaps connects to their culture too, because it's different with API people, mm -hmm. I think. There's a different way of showing up, I think, uh, than other cultures. But it made me think about how, and, that, and maybe this is, a, and this is a question for you, is that there is no clear guideline. We can try, but there are no clear guidelines to create an atmosphere that really has diversity, equity, and inclusion in mind. We can try, but we have to be flexible to change it. So that when you were talking about cautiousness, civility, it's all like, I am walking on eggshells and mm, <laughs> I'm yeah. afraid something's going to happen to me, whether this is, you know, for diverse people or people who are Caucasian who are feeling nervous and feeling like I want to say the right thing where there really isn't a right. I mean, there are definitely a lot of wrong things, but it's not necessarily <laughs> a right thing. It's, it's more about listening yeah. and mm -hmm. being ready. And we talked about this before too, being attuned and ready and trained and prepared to deal with a situation that perhaps you've never dealt with before and being able to respond respectfully to the person or people in front of you, especially if you make a mistake, which is not yeah, always easy for people. Absolutely. I mean, I think one of the things that we, we need to, again, unlearn how we've approached certain things and that approach has always been to ask to be absolved if we yes. make a mistake. Yes. Um, and so we, we almost beg forgiveness for folks. I don't think, you know, I would say probably nine times out of 10, we actually believe that ourselves, that we're going to actually get this, uh, this, this forgiveness, but we like the sentiment. It, it's, it's, it's symbolic when you mm -hmm. are, you know, telling folks that, uh, you know, uh, please, please, please forgive me for this. Um, and one of the things I try to, to not only work with students, but when I'm working with um, coworkers, I'm always telling them like, you're going to step in it. Like you need sure. to know that that will happen. What you need, instead of you trying to avoid stepping in it, once you step in it, because it's going to happen, we need to now learn how to move through it. Mm -hmm. And I think, again, that's something that is very hard for folks because we've been socialized a certain way. We've been socialized to only believe um, that uh, uh, we need to be forgiven. Yes. And in that forgiveness, we therefore become good people. It's kind of like a, you know, you get this wash over you. Oh, I'm no longer bad because you forgave me. Now I can move on with my day. When in fact, like, it's it's human error it's 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 uh how we've been socialized it's how we've kind of had the status quo and when we do it we have to acknowledge it because i think that's also something that scares people is acknowledging yes. when they've done something um because me as the 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 person who's been impacted mm -hmm. i know what you did sure. <laughs> i didn't forget um that this happened to me so i think that's another way that we have to to uh re-establish how that needs to look and that's name it yeah. once you name it then acknowledge by moving through it and then make sure that you are not repeating the same bad behavior that happened last time mm -hmm. and if you step in it again do the same thing again until it becomes a habit. A habit. That's what I was thinking. Because it's hard it, to break habits. It's Just hard like to it's make hard a habit. To break conditioning on either side or sides, any, I don't, shouldn't say sides, but for any person. Mm -hmm. I think one thing that was coming up while you were speaking is, is thinking about how problematic guilt is as a motivation 
to say or not say something. And when you have guilt, a guilt-based system that is sort of your checks and balances versus kind of what we're talking about, even your idea of like name it, move through it, you know, be with it. I would even say be with it for yeah, a little yeah. bit and be like, what is this? But that's part of the naming it, I think. And then moving mm-hmm. through it is when you have a system based on guilt, then there's the idea that something bad is going to happen to you from an authority. Mm-hmm. And that therefore, neither you or the person or people you've done this to are empowered mm-hmm. to speak up for themselves, mm-hmm. either for you to speak and say what your limitations are. You know, I, I think that, you know, the environments I've, I've gone to, to my graduate school and inspire, environments I've worked, I just let, and this is why I work a lot in microaggressions, although I know that term is problematic too for a lot of people, but, <laughs> but I, it's helpful for me because I'm realizing what my conditioning has been. Oh yeah. And I'm oh, realizing yeah. that, you know, I didn't, I didn't hold people accountable because I just took it on. And then I would try to, as an educator and maybe as a codependent, <laughs> I would try to educate everyone. I'm just be like, it's okay. It's mm-hmm. okay. You said that, you know? But I think that it's that guilt. I perhaps had some guilt too. And so it's that guilt of people not feeling empowered in their voice. And then I was even thinking, not feeling accountable or responsible for what you've just done. If it's based on guilt, mm-hmm. you're, you are basing everything you say primarily on a system of uh, reward or punishment mm-hmm. from religion or whomever, your boss, your admin, whomever. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I yeah. was wondering if you could speak to that a bit. Yeah, actually, as you were where you were talking, I thought about when as a as a person coming from a, a, a intersecting background. Mm-hmm. Not only do I have guilt, I also have shame. Yes, and it lasts longer sometimes than guilt because it's the shame of how could you have put yourself in that situation yes. and why did you stay in that situation? And so I think about all of these socializations that we have to actively unlearn is so very hard because we trust it yes we trust it because it is a knowledge base it is our knee-jerk reaction it is where most of our our um lived uh understanding has come from and it's usually come from people that we respect that we love that we value and so to have to let go of those norms is very um it creates a dissidence for you yes it makes you say like that can't be right because my mom would not have told me that or grandma would not have believed that if it's wrong and so we become so connected so infused to that norm that it controls us yes it's so very hard for us to be able to let go and as you said that guilt it's it's nagging and for some folks, it's, it's um, I look at it almost like fight or flight. Like mm-hmm. there are some folks when they get, when they get guilty, they just become defensive Yes. as soon as it happens. And then there are others who just avoid it completely. Mm-hmm. And so it's that fear, right? Yes. Fear is another socialized construct. When you are in fear, we know uh, from a, a psychological perspective, you can't think. Mm-hmm. It, it gives you no ability to think. So you can't critically analyze, you can't rationalize, there can be no logic in what you do. And so that is a, a, a motivator. It is absolutely a, it puts a stranglehold 
on what folks are able to do. And people lead through fear Mm -hmm. because it's effective. It is. It's very persuasive. I mean, (laughs) we know this from political campaigns. It's It's very persuasive for people to feel like their survival is in jeopardy. And I would say even those systems of holding on to them as compared to realizing you need to let go is highly, highly, you know, entangled with this idea of getting our basic needs from people who are, support those systems, right? Those systems of oppression. And so the idea of letting go of those norms on an instinctual level makes you feel like I'm going to lose my shelter. I'm going to lose my food. I'm, you know, all of these things, I'm not going to be safe. Uh, you know, the idea of the shame too brings up a lot for me because I've thought a lot about that, you know, as a newly out queer person and uh, that idea of shame, I think, yeah, is, it's just very new. Mm-hmm. You know, the notion that, um, that you're of, I guess that you're a fault for being mm-hmm. in a situation, whether I was at fault for being, having been closeted for so long or having uh, been at fault for being in those institutional spaces and not having the type of voice that I have now. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know. I wonder if you can speak to that. I wonder if, I wonder also, you know, when sometimes I, I wish that we could have the conversations that we're having now with everyone around us. Oh like, goodness. <laughs> it's just, you know, <laughs> I, 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 and not being too much like a counselor, but feeling like that would happen. Just be like, are you feeling guilt right now? Do you feel shame? I do, you know, sometimes with my clients, this kind of just, if I feel comfortable, I'm not a therapist, but I, if I feel like there's some huge block happening and Mm -hmm. they're struggling so hard, I just will ask them like, you know, what, like, why is this so, why is this block happening? You know, you have all these accolades, especially for, I think for people of color and they, a lot of them feel like they have, right. I think you've talked about this, the, the misnomer of the imposter syndrome oh yeah for us it's like that's something that is not what we think it is and perhaps microaggressions are also not what we think they are Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. uh but this idea that um i don't know transparency i feel like that is something that also i have got from you when i've spoken to you about the way that you're leading as an admin now and then perhaps also how you're leading as a teacher and as a speaker. Do you feel like that that transparency, kind of what we're doing now and Mm -hmm. the ways you can, because you can't just let it all out with everyone, (laughs) but like the ways you can do it, the figuring it out. Okay, I can do this now. Mm -hmm. I see an avenue I'm going to like go through here. I'm going to go through here. And even just like your talk, the TED talk, how you did it, you put it together in this very poetic, personal, political way it actually opened me up to intersection, intersectionality in a way that was, I guess, truer to what it should be. <laughs> Cause I had always thought intersectionality and I remember telling you this and I felt shame when I said it oh. was always like white people giving diverse people the permission to be more than one thing. It's like, Oh, I see you. Oh wait, you're more than one thing. Oh, that's okay. And you're like, oh, it's okay. You know, I go, yay. Oh, it's okay. I could like, you know, get up in the morning and go to work and feel all right. <laughs> but it's, it's not, that's not what it was for you in that talk. And then it, you know, that we can find queerness in our cultures. We can find that lineage, that ancestry. These things don't have to be separate. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So I, I think one of the things that comes up for me when I'm when I'm trying to think through like that transparency piece of it and, and opening myself up, that goes against the status quo. It actually pushes against how we have been socialized to show up, mm-hmm. particularly about ourselves. It goes back to our community. There was a time that our community was the the talk therapy that we needed. It was mm. the, the the folks who kind of got you together. Um, you know, back in the day, you got in trouble at school before you got home. It's about yes. five or six people <laughs> in the neighborhood who got you together before you even got home mm-hmm. to your parent because they cared about you. Um, uh, what is it? Uh, uh, James Baldwin um, uses a quote that says that um, if I love you, then it is it is my duty to perpetually chastise you, Mm -hmm. to ensure that you are the best version of yourself, not because I want to punish you for it, but because I believe that you're greater than what you're, you're presenting at the time. Mm -hmm. And he was at, he he was specifically speaking um, um, to America by saying that, like, I'm not, I'm not just calling you out because I want to call you bad for all these things that you have done. He even says that I believe we are the best country in the world and we're the the best because this is the only thing that I know. However, I love you so much. I want you to be better and I want you to listen to me because you love me back. And I think it's the exact same thing when we talk about this community engagement, that if I love you, then these are the things that I will tell you because I don't want you to fall into the same pitfalls that I've fallen into. I want you to be um, better than possibly what I was able to be because I didn't know. And so I think these are the things that I would love for us to be able to do as a queer community, as a, a community that has so many diverse ethnicities and cultures that are celebrated because if we all actually sit down and we start talking we'll start seeing how we're interwoven into each other so many of our communities were oppressed together and we Mm -hmm. took on so many of our those shared uh uh suppressive um uh tactics so there's things that we know you know this thing within the black community i could look at anybody in the black community you know if something's going left like you know debates but we're not gonna get into that it's not today um (laughs) but (laughs) you know i could look at somebody within the black community and just give them that eye and they know exactly what i'm talking about Mm -hmm. that's that shared cultural value that we have for one another and I know other communities have their own things that it's, it, it doesn't need to be stated it just is and so I think we do need to be transparent with each other because we do need to be honest with each other mm-hmm. that is something that for whatever reason we've lost yes um and again it could be for for protective state. yes and um, I was thinking I was thinking that you know there is this again back to that DEI as uh, walking on eggshells or wanting to feel a like, careful rather than jumping in. You know, I think that there should be a return to this notion of getting comfortable with the uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. It is very hard work. I always think too that when I would go to a conference and present my work, I would always be really nervous if everyone was just the expression was, ah, everyone's happy and clapping. <laughs> what did I do wrong? I was talking about, because <laughs> I want people to grapple with what I'm saying. It's, 
if everyone's just clapping and just happy, then that makes me very concerned because I think I, I am doing something that is just uh, following with the norm or I'm doing something that just continues to make people comfortable or I'm doing something that is con continuing to make certain people feel empowered while other people don't. And so I, how do we, and how do we do that? I wonder, I, my devices are not the best sometimes to deal with conflict. <laughs> I, I was actually talking about this at a workshop recently, and it was talking about being a active bystander to when something happens in terms mm -hmm. of a hate crime. And I think as an Asian Pacific Islander, I handle this in a different way. Maybe as someone who does work in rhetoric and argumentation, culturally, the way I bring these together, and as someone who's been a performer and has, to, has had to deal with hecklers, mm -hmm. I, I have certain devices to do that. And my way of doing that is something I call positive blasting. And oh, so if someone is acting inappropriate, I will flip the script, almost the exact opposite of what they're saying. And maybe, like I said, I'd like to hear your, so I'll give you the quick example. <laughs> uh, I, I was at a, once at a party, the person that was holding the party uh, was uh, Caucasian male and going to China and had some issues. I don't know if it was a generational thing or what. He was older, but he just started talking really poorly about Chinese people and in this very overarching general way, demonizing Chinese people. And I didn't even understand why he was going. It was just the whole thing was very confusing. And I looked around the room and I could see, I was the only Asian person, but I could see other people of color just like very obviously uncomfortable you know, mm -hmm. with him. And so I just decided to intervene. Uh, also, this person was the best friend of my partner at the time. So it was a, mm. it was a sticky, complicated situation. So I, I just positive blasted him. I said, aren't you excited you're going to China? I can't believe that you get to go. Oh, you could go to this place and this place. I wish I was going. You should try this dish and this, you know, and I started just positive blasting him, mm -hmm. you know, uh, and he got, he got uncomfortable. And then I looked around the room and the people of color were kind of smiling because it was gentle, but in a way it was like, Hey dude, you called him out. Yeah, yeah. What you're saying is inappropriate rather than having that talk. Mm -hmm. I feel like that is maybe not, and it was comedic. It's from my performer background to do something like that. That's my instinct to be gentle, but also effective. Oh yeah. It's aggressive. Oh, yeah. I guess it's aggressive and gentle. I, I, I'm curious, what, have you ever been in a situation like that? And what did you do? What are your devices? How do you handle situations like that? Hmm. So I have been in a couple and, and, I, and I have to remember what hat I'm wearing, right? Um, so I, I present masculine. Um, mm -hmm. And so there are times that I'm, you know, I'm, I, I, I will say the testosterone is pumping and I'm like, I'm, a, I'm addressing it aggressively. Yeah. Uh, and, and a lot of times it's usually when uh, I've, I've, the two that pop up for me both were um, the person was being verbally assaulted. Yes. And I, and I waited and I actually waited for other people. Cause I'm like, well, if I get up, it's going to be, it's, it's going to be a confrontation. Yes. But the way that I'm going to approach this is not in a, a fact that I'm going to fight, mm -hmm. but I'm going to approach this in a, a way that is very aggressively demanding of the, the behavior will stop. 
Now, if you need to turn that to me, then we can do that. But in this moment, this will not continue. Yeah. And so I think for, for me sometimes, especially when I'm seeing that that verbal assault, yeah. some of that I think is, is probably triggering because I know what that feels like. And so I have agency now. And so that's how I, I take up space. But I have been in spaces where um, I'm working with a student or I'm working with a, a, a coworker, sometimes even faculty members. And I've been called blatantly a racist. Mm. Like, and I was, and, and almost like kind of take you back a bit. It like, sure. do, do you know what that word means? I don't, I don't was think you know Was this a reverse racism claim? Yes, or? it was a, okay. a reverse racism. And mm. really it was, it was um, in, in light of uh, bringing up some issues. Sure. Um, that were specifically happening to, to marginalized um, folks. And so the person responded and saying, you're being racist. Like there was no reason for you to bring it up. We know what has happened in the past. What's the purpose of this? So it's like a and, gaslighting. I feel right. like that. It was absolutely, a- absolutely gaslighting. And so I remember I had to stop and I used a bar method, you know, breathe, <laughs> affirm what is being said. So you can make sure that you're actually responding to the correct thing. That you're hearing the correct thing. Right. I think that is a good method. Um, and then uh, reflect and then respond. Mm-hmm. So when you reflect on, okay, now that I know that what I heard was exactly what needed, what you said, let me kind of categorize that and, and try to figure out why you may have said that by reflecting on, and maybe you need to just ask why. Well, why did that, why was that the first thing that came to mind? So I did that. So when the, the person did this, like I had an entire audience of folks that were like, oh, what are you about to do? <laughs> and they were just like, okay, what, what is about to happen right now? So I did the bar method and in a very, uh, uh, I don't, I don't want to say monotone, um, but it was a, in a very calm voice. It was yeah. a very calm voice. I said, tell me more. That was the first, first thing out of my mouth. There was no defense. It was absolutely, tell me more tell me more about where you are right now with that. It was like, well, what you're saying is just bad. Like it's make, it's hurting people's feelings. That's okay. And then I repeat back to him. So you're saying that in this moment, your feelings are hurt. Mm-hmm. All right. And I honor that. I affirm it because I know what it feels like to have my feelings hurt, especially when it seems like it's been outed and you've been, it's been publicly yes. humiliated. So I get it. All right. Understand. Second thing is, do you understand the purpose of why I did it? Well, you're trying to tell people about the history. Absolutely. So we, we're now on the same page that you know why I brought this up. I was like, so when I, I said that to make sure that we had a better understanding of the history, it was so that we don't repeat it. If we never acknowledge it, we unfortunately fall back into it because that's what we've always done. Mm-hmm. It has to be an intentional look at it, step away from it in order to correct the behavior. So that's what I was doing. Not in a way that was shaming, yes, but to bring attention and accountability because we can do that in grace. I can yes. be great. I can have grace and meet you where you are, but I also want you to be held accountable for what I know you know. Yes. Then that, I think maybe that's the key. That's the key to being a good administrator, the key to being a good teacher, and, and also the key to being a good coach or consultant is checking in with the person for me because i do a lot of work with breath and breathing and meditation to help Mm -hmm. people be reflective on why they do what they do right but i to me that bar that almost is like the b could also be breathe because you're asking Mm -hmm. the person to step back you're telling them what you heard them say Mm -hmm. 
-hmm. And then you're at, and then that gives them a moment. It gives you a moment. It gives the, the audience a moment, all a moment to reflect and think and say, okay, how are we going to deal with this? Because you could have gone another way. Oh yeah. I had to you remember my body and language. I'm sure you had that. In, I would have that instinct too. You <laughs> I had to remember my body language, how I was positioned to this person, how this person was, you know, were we eye to eye? Was this person over me? Like I had to take all that into consideration in a, in a split second. Yes. Because the first thing was I got to be safe and I may have to get, make sure that other people are safe. Mm -hmm. So I have to like really assess the situation really quickly to make sure this is a conversation that can be had yes. and not something that could escalate into something much worse. People yelling, you know, right. audience members crying. I mean, I could just see the whole thing blowing well, up. Oh, it can go left real quick. <laughs> and so like being able to do that and then honoring the space. Okay. Now that I know that I am in a position of um, somewhat safety as far as a physical safety, how do I now continue the conversation? Because I also had to stop what else was going on. <laughs> Yeah. To bring attention to this one thing that this person really felt very strongly about. Mm -hmm. And so you, you, there's a lot of the, uh, working parts to it, but I definitely think it has to be where you have to stop. Like there has to be a stoppage because if not, I begin to walk into emotion. Sure. And I'm in fight or flight at that point. I'm not thinking it's not rational. It's not logical. It's almost like bodies just reacting and sounds coming yeah. out. You know, right. there's, We're not there's talking no, to each other. There's We're no, re, re, you know, it, the, like the first presidential debate. It's just, you know, something like that. We don't have to talk about that. Another podcast. The interesting thing, I wanted to bring up two things. One thing is I wanted to say that you know, it, it's interesting to me because we're talking about identity, identification, queerness, being people of color. When I think about the way I reacted as compared to you, or the way you reacted, and times when I've tried to have, have the effect of the way you've reacted, mm -hmm. you know, in my per particular body, in my particular identification, like for example, when I was in graduate school, things like that would happen. If I did try to speak up. I always made a joke that I either felt like I was like Melanie Griffith in voice or Sam Kinison. I was either like, oh, really, actually, you know, like something, I just try to speak and it's just this whispery something. Or I was like, no, no, you know, this other voice came out. And I think in my, and then people will find it funny. You know, if I have a strong voice and I'm intense, but I had more of a feminine exterior, it's like people would not take me seriously ever. Mm. You know, it's like, well, who is this Cupid all talking to us right now? So That's it's, real. That's it's, real. It's really interesting to think about it because I think as I've come out and, you know, I've been looking more at my androgynous side and also thinking about how I've navigated the world. I think like, for example, when I had that situation in the party, it's not the same thing. It wasn't a public forum necessarily, but to me it was equally painful and mm. awkward and also sticky because <laughs> I was wearing multiple hats. My mm. instinct to take a breath and take a moment was humor, which mm -hmm. diffused the situation and stopped it, but it didn't really address it. It kind of just like temporarily, he, but it kind of did bring the person to like, you know what you did was wrong because mm -hmm. I feel like everyone knows so I don't know. It's, it was interesting. I was just thinking about that. The particular way, 
and particular way we hold agency in the bodies we have, but also mm -hmm. the way people respond to us. Uh, oh, yeah. I have yeah. felt like I've had that masculine positioning, but I didn't look like it or emanate it. And so there was always like this laughter. There was like this disconnection, mm. you know, same with, I, I'm an opera singer and I have the dramatic mezzo voice, which is like the <laughs> largest voice. And it's a deeper, it's a much deeper voice. Mm -hmm. And then when I would sing somewhere, and this is also a weird Asian thing, people would say like, oh, you have such a little body, but you have such a big voice. It's so strange to me. You know, I don't know what they expected. Uh, it makes me think about the way that we work with students, the way we work with clients, and how do we break through these image barriers, these stereotypical barriers that they're feeling in their day-to-day, -day, and perhaps they have long-lasting effects and even wounding since they were a little kid, knowing, yeah. you know, and even thinking about transness, you know, knowing that they were this one gender, but they were assigned this other gender, knowing that they had a certain personality, but they have a certain gender expression that doesn't fit the normative image of what that personality should be. It's something that I still struggle with. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think the first thing is, <clears throat> I would say get into proximity with people. And so that proximity is getting to know them, mm -hmm. um, having those conversations. Um, I, I remember I had a student years ago um, who had a, um, a uh, hand um, deformity. Mm. And uh, when I met um, the student, they would cover that part. Mm. Um, and so we would have these like very in-depth conversations. And I would notice, I'm noticing this, this student is doing that. And so the first thing in my, in my head is I need you to let that go. Like sure. I need, I need you to let that go because you're much more powerful than you know you are, but that thing is yeah. going to hold you back. And sure. so some of the, the, the conversation uh, with, uh, with this person would be around, how do you see you? Mm. How do you think that I see you? And yeah. they would say, okay, this is how I see myself, but I think you see me this way. And then, and what I was trying to do was I'm like, I need to pour into this person. Mm -hmm. Again, that cultural love of you are that good. You are a, extremely intelligent. There is nothing disabled about mm -hmm. you. There is something that is different, but don't look at it as a defect. Look at it as a way to hold your ground even harder and firmer than you mm -hmm. were doing before. And it took a while. It, it wasn't something that happened overnight because we got to think about, we, we've been socialized for years yes. in this one way. And you meeting me for a semester is not going to get you uh, like just, you know, poof, all this stuff goes away. But it was a, a constant challenge every time they were in my presence that I'm going to affirm you, that I'm going to say, I see mm. you, that your visibility matters, that I want you to continue to put yourself out there. And then I had that, that person come back and speak to a class of mine, maybe two years after they graduated. And they were using both their hands. Mm. They were talking and they Beautiful. were holding their own ground. And I'm sitting here like, yes, <laughs> yes. And afterwards we had a conversation um, and they were like, I find, I know you saw what I did. And I was like, yeah, I was like, <laughs> I finally got over it. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I couldn't make you, 
get over it. I couldn't tell you that, you know, your beauty was, was not only inherent, but it was an exterior. I couldn't tell you that you were a great orator. I couldn't tell you any of these things because I needed you to believe it. Yes. Um, and so they got to a point in their selves that they believed that who they were was good enough. Yes. And so I think that's something that we have to do is that, that as we are pouring into each other, we have to remind each other that, you, you know, if I say that you're beautiful, I love what you're wearing, or I think that your voice is magnificent, it's not just because I, I want some type of intimacy with mm-hmm. you. It's because as a friend, as a fellow human on this earth, I see your worth. I see your value. And it's absolutely okay to tell someone that you see that. And it doesn't mean that you're, you know, trying to, you know, jump their bones or anything like that. <laughs> it absolutely means that I see you for what you are presenting and I appreciate it. Mm-hmm. And we have to get to a point where we're doing that with each other. We constantly are doing it. So it becomes a habit because at the end of the day, if I'm doing that to you and I'm saying that to you, guess what I'm doing to myself in the mirror? Yeah. Doing the exact same thing. <laughs> and that is the mirroring, right? I mean, I mm-hmm. think as people who are perhaps seen as authorities, if you're a professor you know, you're a business owner, you're both, you are mirroring back to someone, but it's, it's, you know, in the psychology, they talk about transference and counter transference. Yes. <laughs> so the patient sees you as the parent or the person they need to deal with the trauma, but then also the, the therapist is seeing you as someone too. So there's mm-hmm. a, it goes back and forth. And I do think, and, we, and maybe we can think about a little, although I feel like the whole conversation has been this, but mentoring, maybe some advice we have for some young people. Mm-hmm. I was just, so a few things that this brought up for me, what, what you were saying is the difference between someone feeling like they're hiding to cope and survive in this difficult, you know, whether it's society or the system they're in that has been telling them, you don't belong here, or mm-hmm. why are you here? You can't shine here. You can just do this you know, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. uh, as compared to that affirmation that you Mm -hmm. gave that student to like, you can show up, you can be who you are, you can be comfortable, you have to, you should love who you are. And that healing that happens. And even the confrontation that you, uh, I I don't even know if you want to call it a confrontation exactly, but that situation with the person that was verbally assaulting someone, I think that you, that was a type of healing or an opportunity. I don't know if it ended up being that well, it was an opportunity for them to heal an opportunity, even perhaps for you to heal. And even the audience too, mm-hmm. uh, to see like, this is a problem, not just with you, but this is many of us have had this happen multiple times and we're going to address it. And we're going to deal with it. Absolutely. Like to know what you think you're in it too. We want right. to just take over and tell you what you did and tell you what happened, I'm going to ask you what you think happened. Absolutely. And it's, 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 a you know, we, we all have grown up to some degree around media. This is kind of Mm -hmm. like that pause that you get, you know, a a lot of times on the the teenage sitcoms, it's like, they're all, they're talking into the camera. Mm-hmm. And I, sometimes I will do that uh, with, uh, if I'm specifically, if I'm working with a student, I'll be like, pause, time stops. <laughs> Let's address it now because I want it, I want us to clear it now. Yes. Um, I used to have a rule with uh, uh, my um, staff. They had, we had a 48 hour rule. You get 48 hours to be mad about something. Mm-hmm. Then you got to talk to somebody. Mm-hmm. After 48 hours, if you decide that you don't want to talk to that person, you have to let it go. Yes. 
because if it shows up after 48 hours, now it's festering, it's going to cause some, some more. It's, be, it's morphed into something else. It's not even the same thing. You're not even mad at the same stuff that you were mad at before. You didn't let people get in your ear. It's, it's created a whole nother journey. Um, and so that was a big thing. And I remember I would sometimes go into meetings with staff and I could feel it, right? Mm. Using that cultural uh, understand I can feel the atmosphere doesn't feel right and then I would stop we can't go forward so mm-hmm. we just need to have this conversation mm-hmm. and the person is like you know shifting I was like you have to let it go mm-hmm. you're gonna have to let it go letting go is hard it's it's hard and so we would do the letting go um uh, exercise everyone get a uh, sheet of paper write mm-hmm. it curse it say whatever needs to be said and they were right. I mean, folks are color. I mean, they're doing everything. And I say, you better transfer <laughs> they got that energy their body in there, into it. Right. I'm like, transfer that energy into that, that sheet of paper. And I said, now spit in it. And they're like, what? Spit in it. <laughs> I'm like, I want you to, I want you to know this is, this yeah. is garbage. This is bad. They yeah. spit it in. They I crumple it up, crumple it up. I mean, I hard, that. put all your pressure into it. And I throw it away. Mm-hmm. I say, cause you use a lot of energy to do that. It's not, you're not even as mad as you were because you've, you've transferred so much energy into this piece, but throw it away and you go and let it go. Now, if you decide to take that spit filled <laughs> crap that you decide, if you decide to do it, that's you. Mm-hmm. It's nobody else's burden. It's no one does. You don't deserve an apology for it. You have decided, you have intentionally and deliberately mm. decided that you want to be in misery. Yes. And I can't help you when you're in that mode. And so doing that for folks and letting folks feel that and see that, they actually helped out a lot. I use it all the time. Sometimes I tell my partner, I have to go right. And I'm, mm-hmm. <laughs> and then I go back and I have a conversation. I was like, I had to get, I had excess energy and I didn't want to like transfer that to you because you, you getting the work. You're getting the world, right? Um, so what I would say is, as far as a mentorship, uh, one, make sure that you know yourself. Yes. Or at least acknowledge that you're on your journey. Mm-hmm. I, I'm not saying that you have to have a, you know, have, uh, have come to your ultimate realization, but acknowledge that you're on your journey. Mm-hmm. And acknowledge that the person that you're with or working with is also on a journey. Meet them where they are, Mm -hmm. not where you are. Yeah. Meet them where they are and elevate them. Mm, I like that. Edify them. Mm -hmm. Speak life into them. Because what you're doing is you're drawing them up. You're growing them. Mm -hmm. One of the things, if if you ever had any plants, it takes, talk to your plants. Mm Mm-hmm. They, they can hear you. They, they, they feed off of that energy. Same thing where you're cultivating a person in that mentorship. And mentorship should be a two-way street. It's not hierarchical. I shouldn't just be kind of- I remember you, you telling me about that. Yeah, it, it can't be. I have, when I look at, look for mentors, one of the things that if I have someone ask me to be a mentor, the first thing I'll say, is it okay if you're a mentor for me? And I'm like, what? <laughs> I, I need you. It's a two-way street. Mm -hmm. When we have conversations, I'm gaining something. So I also want you to to take that on as well. There's a responsibility that we're going to have together to grow each other. And so folks are like, oh, like I I didn't think that you would want. Yeah, I have students that are mentors. And I'm like, I'm learning from you as I'm also giving so that I'm not drained 
Yes. At the end of our conversation. Well, you don't feel like you have to be the savior figure. Right. And I think also that I, the, I think the beautiful thing about that too is, you know, this idea that they realize people realize immediately their self-worth and it's a really, really good exercise for critical thinking. Mm-hmm. It doesn't work within systems that already exist that are given to you. Again, mm-hmm. this goes back to, I think, you know, edifying DEI too, not just mm-hmm. being given this sort of like, 10 steps to DEI, (laughs) but then like, well, I follow these things and why did I do something wrong? Yeah. (laughs) But it's, it really has to do with, you know, listening the same way you're, you're asking them to uh, listen to themselves and speak their truth. You know, I, I, yeah, I think that's really wise. And I would say with any coaching situation, it's very much the same thing. Mm -hmm. So if someone wants to work with me and think I'm going to do everything for them, (laughs) <laughs> That's not the way it works because I will works. also be exhausted. I will not be yeah. able to give my best to them the next time, but it always has to be a two-way, you know, two-way conversation, two-way exchange. And I would say in a mentoring capacity uh, is to always find, always believe in one's voice. Even if you feel like you don't have the exact outlet to put it in that you would hope for, is that when you're going through something or you have something difficult, don't keep it up inside, don't alienate, don't isolate, or you know, don't even like think you have to go through the specific channels people are telling you to, especially if it's uh, institutional medical mm. channels or whatever. Not to say you shouldn't get medical help, but I'm just saying that it's important to uh, let your voice out no matter mm. what's going on and not let it, like you're saying, manifest into something else, into faster into something else. I think that is part of the accountability that, you know, is part of this healing that we can, that we can impart to help students, to help young people, to help young diverse people Mm -hmm. uh, locate their agency for themselves. That is theirs. That is their voice. That is their truth. Mm -hmm. Um, it, it, and it's funny, I, I often tell my, my students, I said, you know, we're, we're, we're walking socializations. We're, we're, everything we do has been socialized. Even our voices are mimicked after the people who are around us. Sure. So when we hear some people like, wow, how did you get such a deeper voice? Figure out who's around them. Mm-hmm. Who are the people that were in their sphere of influence when they were learning how to speak? They began to mimic what they heard. And so when we get to a point where we have that self-agency, where we have this, our own self-discovery, we realize how much of ourselves were someone else's dream yes. and we've never had our own. And so now that we're living that, we, we have to fix our reality to match our dreams. Mm-hmm. And so I think we have to get to that point um, when we think about our leadership, how are we leading? What is mm-hmm. that, what is that you know, 10 step process of leadership? There is no process, you know, there, there is no wall, there, it is all water. Um, if, if we look at it from a philosophical uh, standpoint, but honestly, most of the things that we know are just mimics of other folks. And until we ourselves are living authentically, yes. that's you, that's who you are. And I was like, if you wanna get at least a little sliver of that, get scared. Mm-hmm. That's you. That's the clo- That's probably the closest you to anything else. Get scared for real. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that's one of the reasons why, for some queer folks, when we're when we're working with some of our allies or just folks who don't really understand 
our journeys they're kind of like wow you're so brave mm-hmm. wow you've done oh I can't believe you you've been able to come out and be this person and it's like yeah because I have no point of reference mm-hmm. I am literally for the first time and I tell people all the time I literally did not begin to live until I was probably about 24 mm-hmm. that's Patrice that's when Patrice was born so I'm only a few years old <laughs> I'm not that I'm not that old um, as it relates to my my growing. Mm-hmm. I, I've just been living this, but for 24 years I lived to somebody else. Yeah, I would say for me it's almost like 45 years. So I'm like a few months old. Right yeah, now. you're a few months old. So you're making so you're making those decisions mm-hmm. and the, you know you know missteps because you're only a few months old. Mm-hmm. And so again, give yourself grace. You're giving mm-hmm. yourself grace to be like, I I have no point of reference. This is the first time I've ever experienced it. And hey, I'm gonna go with it. I think that the beauty of this, and I'm maybe we can move. So I usually do a takeaway with people. <laughs> is that okay? So, yes, we can. Okay. <laughs> so that and I'm gonna do mine real quick is that something that you just said and made me think about and something that you said before is my takeaway is that humans are not formed in this perfect way or we don't as soon as we reach 18 or we have a certain age that we always have room to grow we always have room to change we always have room to be open and to shift shift our perspectives shift our identification whatever is going on Uh, I think it's part of that notion of the authentic self that you're talking about which then what follows is the authentic voice and the positioning of yourself in the world and allowing for yourself to be seen, allowing for yourself to be loved. If we see ourselves as being in these perfect containers all the time, mm. then we're not allowing for that to happen. And then those around us, we're not allowing for that cultivation, that edification that you're talking about, mm-hmm. because people will just be mimicking us or mimicking something else that we mimicked to get to that place. Mm-hmm. I think that is a very powerful takeaway for me and thinking about how I can create a foundation for that intersection that I'm continuing. I'm just sort of like gathering things from people that I talk to, to think about what is the intersection? Like, what can it be? Mm -hmm. One of the things that I love that you said, and it absolutely resonates with me because one, I can visually see it. So not only have I heard this, like uh, my my brain is now creating this visual alignment. It is, and it was uh, talking about when you said that um, someone told you, you know, oh, I didn't, I didn't know your voice was that big. This little person has such a big voice. And the first thing I thought is like, cause that's you, <laughs> like that's you, mm-hmm. your voice, like that voice, that voice has been honed, yes. but the, the skill set, what it is at its, its, at its most foundational, that's you. It is power. It is it is majesty. It is uh, thought provoking and critical. That's your voice. And so when people hear it, it's kind of like, well, you don't match. Yeah, that's that's this is the container, but <laughs> the product, you know, the package was within can sometimes be much grander. You mm-hmm. put, you know, a diamond in a shoebox is still a diamond. Mm-hmm right? It doesn't become a shoe because it's in that box. And so like when you said that, I was just like, yeah, that's like, that's a, that's a tangible thing that I think we miss because we are, we have been socialized again to, to lose that, to believe that our voices 
are only products of someone else and that we have no connection to them. Mm -hmm. um, and and there, it's even that, that clarity of like when, when I'm talking about mimicking, mm -hmm. it's not because it, your voice is not there. You just want to know how it's supposed to sound. Yes. And then, yeah, you're, and you're never actually hearing yourself. This is why the mirroring is so important because like mm -hmm. when you do with voice training, you're never hearing yourself when you hear a recording or even when you're speaking, you're never hearing yourself accurately. You're hearing an echo from something else. Right. Whether it's You can't inside. see yourself, right? Yeah. And so if someone <laughs> gives that back to you in a way that's really positive, that can have such a generative effect. Mm -hmm. So we're, we're out here relying on each other to to be, to exist. I, I've never seen my reflection. I, I'm, I've never seen myself. I've only seen a reflection of myself. So I need to be around people that I see me in. Yes. And so I'm so, I'm so happy that you're a part of my network and I, I'm able to see myself um, in you uh, because I, you know, again, I, I don't know. And mm -hmm. I am still struggling with imposter syndrome. I'm still struggling with the socialization. I'm still struggling with my blackness and my queer identity. I'm much better. Mm -hmm. But it's always going to be a struggle because societal norms have always told me that I am, I'm in the wrong body. Yes. And in fact, I'm just in the wrong society. Yes, I love that. And so you're creating your own mm -hmm. by acting in a certain way to bring people up. Mm -hmm. Like almost like your, uh, what do they call it? You're grooming people to be <laughs> themselves. Well, and then, you know, it's like that's I always tell my students and now my clients is that, you know, you have a story that no one else has. Mm -hmm. So that's what you want to put forth when you're you know, interviewing for a job or whatever you're doing to be a, a thought leader in your field is you want to tell your story. Let's figure out what your story is. Absolutely. You know, everyone, everyone is an original. I think that is something to think about. Uh, Don't die a copy. Yes. <laughs> We're walking away with. Well, thank you so much, Patrice. I think, Absolutely. I think I'm going to close out and I'm just going to close out in the way that we uh, that we started. So this is, oh, actually, before we go, how can people contact you? Because I know, yeah. I know that you're, that you're a director now, but do you still also do consulting work? I do. I actually okay. do. Um, and so uh, I'll, I'll leave that with you all, but um, that's um, uh, P.A. Palmer. So my first two initials of my first name and Palmer, P-A-L-M-E-R um, at, I'm sorry, P. Palmer 5276 at gmail.com. And okay. so that's if, if you would like to have a good conversation around how we can um, do some storytelling in your organization um, or really kind of help hone some of those skill sets that you feel that you need in order to present your most authentic and best self. Um, I definitely would love to work with you, uh, work with your organization, uh, work with your company to get you to a place where who you are on the inside absolutely resonates on the outside and there's our authentic uh, responsibility that you're giving us all. So thank you for that. That's wonderful. I think if it's okay, I can put your LinkedIn page as well. Oh yeah. On the post. I love LinkedIn. <laughs> and then cause I, <laughs> I, I do like your page and I like your posts. Uh, I'll just tell people how they can contact me. So I am a communication coach consultant who's company, actually it's Wong Learner Coaching, but I'm going to be changing it back just to my name, focuses primarily on diverse people. So 
you know, black indigenous people of color, Asian Pacific Islanders, queer people and beyond and focuses on also looking into your original voice, looking into your authenticity and speaking from that place when you go into the job market and making sure that your culture and who you are and where you come from doesn't get left behind because you feel pressure from that job market to leave it behind and realize also you know, the gifts within that and what you have to offer. And so I offer public speaking. I do a little bit of writing coaching. I do things with speech with people who are non-native speakers and a host of other things. So also this will be on my LinkedIn. So people will be able to see it that way. You can get in touch with me that way. And my website is wonglearnercoaching.com. Awesome. So thank you again, Patrice. I'm just so glad we had this conversation and that you're like one of the first people that you actually brought up the whole theme of this podcast. And then I, that I was able to have you on here is a real honor for us. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it's always an honor to have a good conversation with you. Um, I always walk away learning, knowing, feeling um, different. And I just love to be in community with my siblings, um, wherever they are in the world. Um, Because when you are seen by people who love you genuinely, the world sees you. Um, And it it just makes you just a little bit stronger. So again, I appreciate the, the opportunity Anytime you need me, you call me, I'm Thank here. Thank you. You're actually, I want to, I, I keep doing these aside. You're actually <laughs> the first person who used that term sibling. I'd never heard that before. Uh-huh. And when I, cause I had watched your Ted talk and then we were in touch and then you wrote that post that was just really nice. And I actually wept a little just cause I oh. felt that <laughs> care and that community that you're starting to build. I felt like I was a part of it. So I just mm-hmm. wanted to thank you for that. And then now I can, do it with the intersection and continue yes. that work. Yeah, so and, and continue growing our family. I mean, mm-hmm. You know, it, it may not be our, what is it? Um, this is absolutely our chosen family and I'm glad I made the choice. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes. I'm still understanding that concept. I'm still figuring. Oh yeah, it's a, it's a journey <laughs> yes. and I'm here. I'm here um, as, a, as an older sibling. I am here. <laughs> Um, to continue the conversation. I feel like we need a series of pictures for the podcast. You won't be able to see it, but uh, Patrice has their sort of like thumb, sort of stroking my imaginary beard. Yeah. And I have my uh, close palm on my chin. We used to see that. I I think that has like, that we don't see that pose as much anymore. The thinker, it's sort of. Yes, the thinker, the thinker. And then we need the corduroy jackets with the pads and the. I have one. Oh, you do? That's so cool. I have one, yes. I don't have one. You got to get one. I'd like a maroon one. I think that would be really cool. (laughs) So let's close out the way that we started. This is uh, Shannon Wong Learner, PhD, communication coach and consultant with our special guest. Patrice Palmer, um, Director of Social and Cultural Inclusion for the College of Business at Colorado State University and um, jointly D&I Specialist with New Belgium Brewing Company. And you've been here for the last hour or so with the Intersection, Diverse Folks Converse podcast. And the title for our episode was Staples for for Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion Steps for Non-Hierarchical Leadership. We will see you again next time. Bye-bye. Bye.